Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. Take your Bibles out, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16, and we'll begin with verse number one. Now before we read that passage, I want to remind you of our theme verse for this series on kings and kingdoms, and it's found in 1 Peter chapter 9, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 9, and it goes like this. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people belonging to God. You're to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. God called us and chose us to be a part of his amazing kingdom. And he says, you are a royal priesthood, which means we are kings and priests unto our God. And so an amazing privilege, we have a ruling and reigning with Christ, not just for all eternity, but right here, down here on the earth. So how do we do that? How do we rule and reign with Christ? How do we bring about his kingdom dominion, his kingdom rule, his kingdom power right here on the earth where we're at, ruling and reigning right now? Well, I will tell you, first of all, you can have the right kind of heart. If your heart's not right, you can't do it. What does a kingdom heart look like? Let's pick up our story with a man by the name of Samuel. Samuel now is grieving. We looked last week at Saul's failure. He failed miserably. He did everything wrong. He disobeyed God. He got ahead of the Lord. He offered the sacrifice prematurely. He, uh, he would not wipe out the Amalekites completely. He thought if he just went out and won the battle, won the victory, he'd be okay. And so he thought if he partially obeyed God, that was good enough. And we talked a little bit last week about the myth of partial obedience. Partial obedience is the same as disobedience. You can't partially obey God. Either you're in or you're out. And so it was with Saul. And, and so now Samuel is grieving. He's been crying. He's been weeping because, because Saul, in some respects, was his son in the faith. He's the one he brought up. He's the one he trained. He's the one he tutored and mentored. And now he blew it and failed miserably. And so he's crying for Saul, and he's weeping for the nation of Israel as well. And finally God says, you know what? It's time to get up and go anoint a new king. So let's stand together. We're going to introduce you to a man by the name of David and what it means to have a kingdom heart today. 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse number 1. And the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected his king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be the king. But Samuel said, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you're to do. You're to anoint me, you're to anoint for me the one that I will indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. And when he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. And they asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. 
The Lord does not look at things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Father, we love you so much. We thank you, God, for your sweet, sweet presence here today. We pray, God, that you visit us every week. God, we pray that you will do it again. You will visit us again this morning in a mighty, powerful way, that you will anoint me again as I bring forth the word of God. Open up our hearts, our minds, to receive what you have for us. And we love you so very, very much. We thank you for your presence again. We ask all this in your mighty name. Amen and amen. Turn to someone, tell them they got an awesome heart today. Their hearts are great, even though you can't see it. The world judges entirely different than man does. Bible's very clear about how man judges. We look at the outward appearance. He says in the word right there, man looks at the outward appearance. And so we look at stars and we idolize them and we put them on the platforms and with the media the way it is, we've made heroes out of people whose hearts may not be all that right. If you're a basketball fan, you may look up to LeBron James for his amazing dunks and his power. You may look at Seth Curry for his three-point shooting ability. If you're into football, you might like Tom Brady or or you might like Odell Beckham with his one-hand catches. And these are your heroes. They're the heroes of our youth, or this generation today, all the men today, the ladies today. We're into sports and we're rah, rah, rah. And we have our heroes out there and we look at their physique and we look at their appearance and how amazing they are and we're wowed by that. Boys and girls have their heroes. When my kids were small, I thought I might be their hero, but I was not. They wore their underoos, underoos, and so they were the Incredible Hawk. One had his Incredible Hawk t-shirt, his underoo underwear, and uh, the other was Spider-Man, had his Spider-Man t-shirt and his underoos, and uh, they would go like this, and they would be the Incredible Hawk, because that's who they wanted to be. They thought they were strong. They thought they were powerful, and so we have our heroes in, in, in pop culture, I asked my wife to download some of the top stars today because I'm kind of out of touch. I'm an old man. But let me tell you, uh, the Biebs, Justin Bieber, you know, I mean, he's really popular today with the teenagers. Taylor Swift is popular. Bruno Mars, Katy Perry, uh, Beyonce. And so, uh, you know, these, and, and they're known because they can sing and dance. Uh, much of their dancing is very vulgar, but they still are idols in this world today. And our young people and our teenagers look up to them. And we're fascinated with money, and we're fascinated with prestige, and we're fascinated with power today. But I will tell you, none of these things impress God. I will say it again, none of these things impress God. In fact, often these things fill fill these people up with pride and ambition, and pride gets in the way of serving God. We can only pray they hear a gospel witness and someone shares the love of Jesus Christ with them and in humility they come to say, God, it's all because of you. Often we want to dress and look like these stars and sometimes if we don't measure up and look like them or dress like them or whatever the case may be, we begin to feel inferior. Now I want to tell you right out of the gate, God has uniquely formed you and made you in his image. He's got an amazing plan for every single person in the house. It doesn't matter what you look like, uh, uh, how tall, how short, how round, how whatever you might be. I will tell you, God cares about you. 
You're an amazing, amazing person made in the image of God. And God, what he wants to do is he wants to come in and recreate our hearts. Because our hearts are really the only thing that matters. And so what is our heart like? You've got this story here. I read it to you earlier. Jesse parades these sons before uh, Samuel. (coughs) Excuse me. And he thinks... Surely one of these guys is going to be the man. And the first son to come walking down, kind of strutting along the way is Eliab. He's big, he's strong, he's handsome, he's tall, he's a mighty warrior, but that's not the one. And then he takes the next brother and the next brother, and one by one he parades all seven sons before Samuel. And Samuel said, there's still somebody out there because none of these have the heart, the heart that I'm looking for. Well, there's somebody out there in the field. Let's check him out. So let's pick up our story with verse number eight. It says, and Jesse called Abinadab and and had him pass before Samuel. And Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. And Jesse then had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen him. And Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest Jesse answered, he's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent, had him brought in. He was ruddy and fine appearance and handsome features. And the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. And Samuel went to Ramah. David would go in one day, from being the humble tender of sheep to eventually becoming the greatest king Israel would ever know because he had a heart after God. He said, I found a man who has the right kind of heart. Now, what is it? What are the attributes? What are the qualities that that make a man or a woman have a heart after God? I want to give you three things today and just jot these down. First of all, I think you see in David a willing obedience, a willing obedience. Now, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 13 and verse 22, Acts 13 and 22, and he comes right out and he says it very clearly. This is what made David so special. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. By the way, this this phrase, a man after my own heart, is used many different times throughout the word to describe David. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Now, right away, he tells you what it means to have a heart after God. If you have a heart after God, you're going to do everything God wants you to do. That's what the book of Acts says. That's what made him so unique, so special. Notice the link between obedience and the heart. He links it two together right here in the word of God. And you can contrast this, and and the writer's making a point to do this. He's contrasting David's obedience with Saul's disobedience. And we come right off the heels of Saul's multiple failures, and we roll right into David. And the one thing about David that separated him from everybody else was that willing obedience. Even in the most menial task, he was willing to obey. If it meant I'm out keeping sheep, I'm all by myself all night long, I'm watching these sheep fight each other, I'm defending them i'm by myself i'm all alone i'm just out here the youngest keeping the sheep he would obey his dad and by obeying his dad he was indirectly obeying god 
Because how many know God has delegated authorities over us? If we rebel against God's delegated authority, our moms or our dads or our boss or anybody else along the way, if we rebel against them, the word says we're rebelling against God. And you see in David, he is willing to obey even in the smallest details of life. And because he could do that, the word says, if you've been faithful over the little things, God will make you ruler over the great things. And if we can't obey God in the day-to-day activities every day of our life, then he'll never set us up for ruling and reigning with him in his kingdom rule. Sometimes the very best training comes in those times of solitude. David's all alone and no one else is around. It's in the quiet obedience to his father, Jesse, and his heavenly father that he learned many valuable lessons. Turn, if you would, to Psalm 78. Psalm 78, look at verse 70. He chose David his servant and he took him from the sheep pens. So you see his humble beginnings. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob. In other words, in that solitude with God where many of the Psalms were written, where we see his heart come to fruition, in keeping the sheep in the pens, now he is, God is really training him in those times of solitude to lead his people Israel. It goes on to say the people of Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance, and David shepherded them with integrity of heart. See the phrase heart against? And with skillful hands he led them. It's in those times of solitude he gave us Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. And you see this imagery of this psalm and this psalmist writing. He's talking about green pastures and still waters and steep, dark valleys. And, and yet he says, and all the time, God's with me. His rod and his staff, they come for me. And God has never bailed out on me. And he's been there every step of the way. And even though I walk through a valley of the shadow of death, you're with me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Surely my cup runneth over. We got this powerful, powerful psalm, and it was birthed in those times when he's watching sheep all by himself, and in those times he discovers a faithful shepherd who will provide for him, who will protect him, who will guide him, who will lead him every step of the way, because the bottom line, he says, for thou art with me. Obedience. David was a man of willing obedience. It would be 1,100 years later, that from these very same hillside outside of Bethlehem, another shepherd would be born. He would be the great shepherd of all time, and he would fulfill the words. And listen to these words. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, in the city of David, Bethlehem, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So because that heart after God's there, all the way down through the generations, he would honor David's rule and line for all time, and it would come to fruition through his seed, the Lord Jesus Christ. So if we're going to have a heart after God, it starts with obedience. Number two, if we're going to have a heart after God, it starts with great faith. One of the things you see about David was his incredible faith. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 32 What more shall I say? I do not have time to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David. 
Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms. David conquered kingdoms. He would bring the Philistines in control. The Amalekites would finally be eradicated under him. Uh, All these other nations that would come against them. He administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, obviously he's talking about Daniel there, quenched the fury of the flame, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign enemies. Now he's describing this list of people, but of the forefront, one of those guys mentioned who had amazing faith was a man by the name of David, who routed armies and did great exploits in the kingdom of God. Why? Because he was a man of faith. I believe a heart after God is one who puts his faith and trust fully in God, who believes with God, God can do it again, and God can do all things. Now, I will tell you, faith and obedience are not synonymous, and yet you cannot separate them. They go together. They work together. James 2 and 22 says, you see that his faith, talking about the faith of Abraham, and his actions were working together. His faith was made complete by what he did. And so David's faith resulted in obedience. And because he had faith, he obeyed God in any situation and in every situation, it led to obedience. And through his obedience, the Bible says his faith was made complete. So faith leads us to obey God and obedience completes that act of faith in our hearts and minds and spirits. So the two work perfectly together faith and obedience. And David had amazing faith. His faith would be tested while he would be out there watching the sheep. And so on one occasion, a lion comes up to take one of the sheep and that faith of God would kick on in and he would go out and he would slay and destroy the lion. On another occasion, the Bible says a bear came out. How many would take a bear? I was on a cruise one time up in Alaska. They told us what to do when a bear comes. I think it's the the big black bear. You just simply... uh, growl or yell or do something and hopefully that bear will go away but it's the grizzly one of those big old grizzly bears up in alaska i think you just fall to the ground in a fetal position and pray he doesn't come and bite your head off i don't know what you do a bear comes out and 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 threatens the sheep and faith the faith of god arises in him and he will go out and he will slay that bear next week we're going to see how his faith allowed him to take down a giant by the name of goliath and we're going to talk about how we in our own lives can become giant killers how many want to be a giant killer Faith, an amazing faith that he had. Through every battle, he trusted in the strength of the Lord. And it says in verse 34, powerful in battle, he routed foreign armies. He also had faith to wait on God's time. Remember last week we talked about how that because Saul didn't have faith, he couldn't wait for Samuel to get there and he offers the sacrifice before Samuel arrives. He gets ahead of God's time. I want to just kind of, set the scene for you. We'll talk about this more in the days ahead. But David would wait 10 years from the time he is anointed king to the time he would become king. Can you imagine being anointed by God to be the next king of Israel, and yet for 10 years he's running for his life, Saul's trying to kill him, he escapes one uh, event after another, he has at least two occasions when he could have taken Saul's life and took matters into his own hand, but he said, I will not touch God's anointed. I want to tell you, it takes incredible faith to wait. In fact, I believe sometimes that's the hardest kind of faith. 
Sometimes the faith to go out, a giant comes, a situation comes, a problem comes, and that faith of God that you've studied and prayed about all your life, it just kind of kicks in and that gift of faith comes and, and you can do mighty exploits for God. But I think the hardest faith is one we're running and we're hiding in caves and nothing's going right. And it's like Laurel said, we just hang on to a piece of that ship when that's all I have left to hold on to. And we see that faith in, in David. Uh, Psalm 59, turn there. You get a little glimpse of David's heart. Uh, he, many scholars believe that this was written right after uh, Saul's going to come to the house. He marries the daughter of King Saul, and they're living together. Saul gets one of his or, uh, gets enraged and one of his jealous fits. He wants to come kill David, and uh, his wife gets wind of it and says, "Here, escape by the window." He runs, and they come in, and David's gone. And uh, they believe this psalm was written right around that time. Psalm 59, and look at verse number 16. I will sing of your strength in the morning. I will sing of your love. You are my fortress, my refuge in times of trouble. O my strength, I sing praise to you. You, O God, are my fortress and my loving God. Hallelujah. What, What great faith. Faith that God is my refuge, my strength, and my fortress. That whole psalm is incredible. When you really believe God will protect you, the good news is you have no reason to worry, no reason to be afraid. I don't have to worry about every day. I don't have to be afraid what's coming up. I don't have to be afraid of this job situation or that situation or whatever I'm about to face. Why? Because I, in faith, believe God is my refuge, my strength, my help in time of trouble. Amazing faith. I think the third characteristics you see about David in his heart was his sincere humility. His sincere humility. Humility ties in with faith and obedience because humility leads us to trust in God and have faith in God and obey God. And so those things all kind of go together here because in humility, I realize I can't do anything without the help of God. A truly humble person is totally dependent upon the Lord. I can't do one thing without God's help. And that's humility, and that leads to faith and putting my trust in him. Turn to second, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 26. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And he chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify things that are so that no one may boast before him. God chooses us, the most unlikely candidates on the face of the earth. God chose us. Why? So we can't brag in ourselves so all the glory, honor, and praise will go back to God. It is because of him that you are in Uh, you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. All that comes from God. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And you see this. You see this in the Psalms. You see this in his writings. David is always boasting in the Lord. He is a truly humble man. Though, anointed the next, though he is anointed as the next king, he's submitted to the rule of an unstable king. 
He's the anointed one. The mantle's going to pass to him. He still submits in humility to the rule of Saul, a very unstable king. Even though he's an early public hero, remember when he comes back after battle? Oh, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. The, the Bible said in all his ways, he behaved himself wisely. And so you get the idea, it didn't rush to his head. Even when he fails miserably after an illicit affair with a married woman and he kills her husband in battle, when convicted of sin, the Bible says he repents and he makes this statement, against thee and thee only have I sinned. He humbles himself and repents. You know, you can't even repent unless you first humble yourself. And he didn't say like Saul, you know what? It's all the men that made me take the animals to sacrifice. It's their fault. David would say, against you and you only have I sinned and done this. David acknowledged God's right to judge sin. He sought God's forgiveness and he sought God's mercy. And he asked God for it. He had a broken and contrite heart, a heart that is after God. And in Psalm 51, verse 10, he would write, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. You see the humility that comes through even in his failing times of failure. Create in me a clean heart. David was a man after God's own heart because he obeyed, because he had faith, because he humbled himself before God all throughout his life and ministry. It also points to someone else who is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And it it says of Jesus Christ, turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 5. We see him also characterized by that very same kind of humility. And it says in verse number five, let your attitude be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who being in the very nature of God, he is fully God in every respect. He never ever ceases to be God, but he lays down his rights while he comes to earth to operate and function as God. He's always fully God, but he lays down his divine right who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death on the cross. He says, that's the same kind of humility my people who want a kingdom heart to have. It's got to be, I deny myself, I give up my rights. It's all about laying down my life for somebody else. That's true heart after God. This would be quite a day for this shepherd boy. He would go from the fields eventually to be the next anointed king of Israel. But I will tell you, it did not immediately lead to the throne. He would go through a decade of suffering and of running and fleeing for his life. God would first send David through his school of brokenness before he could put him on the throne. When God really wants to use somebody, what he often does is he breaks them first, breaks their pride, breaks their self-will, breaks them down so that in God's time he can build them back up. When we humble ourselves, God will exalt us in due time or due season. And that's what we see in David's life. 
Over these next several weeks, we're going to be looking at David. We're going to see that David is the great giant killer. David, we're going to see him, David the fugitive. We will see David the sinner. We will see David as the warrior king. We have been called to rule and reign with Christ. Not just right now, but we're called to rule and reign with Christ for all eternity. But right now, we rule and reign with him as we bring God's kingdom dominion on this earth. And there are still battles to be won and giants to be conquered. But first, for that to happen, Jesus Christ has to be enthroned as the Lord of your life. Is he your Lord? Is he your king? Is he your everything? Is, is he on the throne of your heart and life? And then when he comes in, he begins to change us. And we, we learn obedience, and we learn submission, and we learn humility, and we learn faith, because now Christ is living inside of me. I would tell you today, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you need to say, God, I need you. Save me. Come into my life. Help me as I follow and serve you. Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org.